Hi, I'm George Brundle. Say hi, Larry. Hi. Hi. This is my podcast where I talk about video games to Larry Davis. Larry has no idea what video games I've picked each week, uh, but all the video games are old as shit. Uh, speaking of things that are old as shit, uh, Larry, you know uh, that I've mentioned this a few times before on the show, uh, the connection between myself, uh, my grandpa, and gaming. Uh, in fact, I remember it quite clearly those warm summer nights on his farm, uh, sitting on Grandpapa's knee as he rocked in his handmade rocking chair, looking up at the stars while he strummed on his banjo. Often he would tell me stories of side-scrolling shoot-'em-ups like R-Type and Phalanx and mm -hmm. even Zero Wing. Uh, he mentioned once something about like an overhead shoot-'em-up with like witches, but then he told me that like he'd tell me about that when I was older. I don't I still don't really know what he was talking about. It's probably for the best. Well, maybe one day when I grow up and become a man, I'll find out. Yeah. Larry, today we're talking about shmups, as some weirdos would call them. Shmups? Uh, like, yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, Phalanx, R-Type, specifically R-Type 3, the third lightning on the Super Nintendo. Okay. Uh, and Zero Win, which everyone may remember as that game, what had to be all your base meme. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Like, what do you think the percentage of people are that have actually played Zero Wing versus just having seen all your base? Because I bet it's probably about, like, 0.25%. I would have to say it's even less than that. Lower. Yeah. Uh, because the only way that you could get at Zero Wing, uh, especially in America, uh, which, as we know, both being Americans, is the only country and culture that matters. Yep. Uh, they couldn't get at that game because it didn't release in our, in our region. Right. So they would have to be. Uh, it came out in the PAL region, but I don't give a fuck if those people were playing. Nope. The only advantage many... PAL has <laughs> is that they got a Blu-ray of the Mario movie, and we didn't. That That is true. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. But racist, their video game really. plays slower, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, we, we, the, the thing with shoot-em-ups for me is that they all blur together at some point, because I've never been particularly interested in, in, the, zonre, in the genre. I've always me been, too. like, really bad at, at shoot-em-ups. I like uh, them, but at a certain point, I you know, I can tell you what's in a Gradius, or our type is the one with the weird alien dudes in it. Or well, Gradius uh, is also the one with the weird alien dudes in it, and well, Phalanx yeah. is also the one with the weird alien dudes in it. But you know the one I'm talking about—the one that basically looks like an alien. That's like, yes, like an actual R-type alien. Yeah, uh, and of course you got uh, Ikaruga or Ikaruga, whatever. Um, I'm trying to think of other good. Uh, Death Smiles is pretty good. All those cave ones are good. Yeah. Well, so I actually, when I when I sat down and tried to research this stuff, I kind of got deep into the history of shoot-em-ups uh, as a genre. Because uh, at a certain point, a lot of these, when you start talking about the individual games, even becomes very referential to games that came before it. Uh, like, specifically with uh, R-Type, it owes so much to uh, Gradius that is kind of hard to talk about our type without discussing that game too. Yeah. Uh, 
Because, like, it was De- Defender and Scramble were, like, the two that kind of came out first and, like, laid the foundation of what that genre was. And that it was uh, Gradia specifically that came along and kind of, like, similar to, like, a Sweet Home sort of thing. Like, these type of games existed, but it wasn't until this one that, like, it really cemented what the genre was. I don't know that I would really consider Defender as being part of the same genre, though, because you're moving both left and right. You're like going around the same stage, you're sort of looping around. Yeah, but it was still a side-on perspective. I, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that Gradius was the one that really cemented, like, no, you are always moving to the right, you're getting different power-ups and stuff like that. Sure. But at that point, wouldn't you say Asteroids was like the original? I always kind of viewed Asteroids as being top-down. It is, but you know what? So was 1942 And Jamestown and Ikaraga Which are all shmups mm. Radiant Silver Gun, ever heard of it? <laughs> See, this is why I have never gotten into the shmup genres <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, man Well, okay uh, this is actually, like, the, the games that I picked out for this episode I think are actually maybe a very good starting point If somebody wants to get into shmups Earth um, Defense Force Before it became a weird third-person shooter About destroying ants Oh, fuck, that's right I forgot that they did that Yeah, that was the original game Super Nintendo No, I mean, I totally forgot about just the whole existence Of the third-person, like, ant shooting thing Wait, why? Like that game, I, I remember them playing that on Giant Bomb and I somehow forgot all about that game existing. I love Earth Defense Force. It's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like uh, the, the thing with Gradius though is that it, it gave you more strategy as well. Like uh, by providing like power-ups where you need to sort of weigh do I want to go more defensive or do I want to go more, more offensive which was yeah. a thing that like also Defender and Scramble didn't really have any kind of element of yeah and the thing of like switching between the uh, like speed like laser bomb missile I think or the categories or something I think so yeah uh, uh, it's it's a neat way to add something even more hectic on top of something that can already get pretty hairy. Yes, and it, like I, I think a, another way that it added to that uh, that defender and scramble did not have was uh, Gradius was also the first one to kind of put you into more confined spaces, like you were going through tunnels, right, uh, and tight structures. Uh, <laughs> and so then, a lot of cases, you know, it, you basically had to well, upgrade speed all the way first, so you could actually navigate them yeah uh and then also by adding like very large boss encounters at the end of the levels uh, which is something that hadn't really been done either so all those things though those, those big elements of you need to weigh your power-ups having very tight corridors and large uh bosses is is stuff that has become very persistent shoot em up genre sure and you can trace all that back to Gradius specifically as kind of being the progenitor of all. Um, yes. The, the the way I'm going with this is that our type owes a lot to Gradius specifically because if you look at those two games, it's very clear that our type is just aping off of it. But like they they expand on it in ways that I think uh, at least makes our type feel fresh enough that I might actually prefer that over Gradius. 
because like the, the the thing with R type specifically is that like uh, trying to see where I have this down on here because the the amount of like weapons you got there there were four of them and you can like upgrade them all individually, so you can kind of pick like oh well I want the laser but then I have like stage one laser stage two laser stage three laser and then you get the uh, forces that join that join you and you can attach right. those either to the front of your ship or the back of the ship. Yeah, uh, the one I played the most was R-Type Delta, which I think was on PS1. Uh, and I didn't play probably a whole lot of this one. I remember it being good. So though. that, yeah, it, it's very good. But that's sort of the, the thing that when I was kind of looking up uh, the history of R-Type specifically is it gets really confusing like right off the bat what is what with R-Type because it was that R-Type that the first one came out in arcades and then uh, when they went and they ported the game they ported it as R-Type and R-Type 2 and they had split the game in half so R-Type 1 had the first four levels of the arcade game and R-Type 2 had the second four levels okay yeah uh, sure so this this happened on the uh, Amstrad uh, CPC, the ZX Spectrum, uh, the MSX, and the NEC PC-88. And then there was a Commodore 64, a Master System, Atari ST, and Game Boy version of the game. Uh, and the only version of R-Type that got ported over that was the complete game. All eight levels was on the TurboGrafx-16. So... Everything else, it was just like one half of R-Type. There was a sequel to R-Type called Armed Police Unit Gallop. Yes. It's uh, great. There name. was also R-Type Leo. Cool. Those came out between uh, one and two. So that's the thing, is there's a second R-Type too. <laughs> so this is where it got so really confusing like, for me. There's R-Type. It's R -type like Middle Gear 2 and Snake's Revenge. Yes. Uh, so there's there's R Type Arcade, full game, eight levels. R Type One, first four levels of R Type Arcade. R Type Two, sometimes referred to as Part Two, second four levels of R Type Arcade. Then there is R Type Two, which is a sequel to R Type Arcade, and then R Type Three, the Third Lightning. And in between Two and Third Lightning are uh, Leo and Gallop. Great. Yeah, it's super great. R-Type Uncle Leo. Make that Photoshop, please. Gradius, hello! Whoa. Yeah. Oh, man. So, one of, and one of the weird things, too, about, like, the, the ports of the original R-Type was there was not one on the NES. Because, like, it came out for fucking everything else. Like, no, there was a Game had, Boy um, version of it, but there wasn't an NES version. It had a Life Force or salamander depending on the region mm. and that was like, like the, the actual like predecessor to our type wasn't it uh i'm actually not sure like salamander isn't something that i really like looked up when i was kind of like diving into the history of all this to be honest with you I and think, i don't like I on my own the same developers i think it was irem yeah um, yeah irem does our type so but still, it's 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 kind of weird that you would not put R-Type on the NES, which was the you know, obviously the most popular system at that time, like whether you're in Japan or in the States. 
uh, but you're porting it to absolutely everything else. But the, the, the part where that gets especially weird to me is the arcade cabinet was published by Nintendo. And IRIM was like a well-known third party of the NESs from the system's launch. Uh, no, uh, Salamander was a Konami game. It was a spinoff of Gradius. Oh. So, okay. Okay. But still, kind sense. of in between the two. But uh, I, I kind of tried to look up, like, why wasn't there an R-Type on the NES, and I couldn't, like, come up with anything. Like, uh, I was pulling up some pretty old threads that mostly speculated that it had something to do with, like, uh, NEC getting some kind of, like, exclusivity deal for home releases, or that it had something to do with, like, Nintendo's restriction on ported games and publishing limits. Okay. Because, like, I, I think part of Nintendo's rule with third parties was that you couldn't bring a game over that had already been ported over to another console maybe but it's i don't know they put out a bunch of weird stuff and it seems strange that they would like put the kibosh on something like that yeah like the the fact that the, the strangest part to me is the fact that it, it is Irem, who they had been working with, they put out the 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 cabinet and then they put it on the Game Boy. It's specifically weird that the NES did not get it, uh, and it's even stranger that there is like zero evidence about why that was the case. Like, just nobody knows. Yeah, but, it's a mystery to everybody. Yeah, yeah, it is a mystery. If only there were people that we could ask, but I'm pretty sure most of the people associated with Nintendo at that point in time, other than Miyamoto, are, like, dead now. Well, we gotta ask Miyamoto, then. I don't think Miyamoto's gonna have an answer for you. Probably not, about especially any... after stuff we said about him. No. Because he heard it. <laughs> he hears Whoever everything. linked to Miyamoto, our podcast, you're a fucker. <laughs> Hope somebody did. Not Doug Tenaple. Yamoto can't speak English. He has no idea what we're saying. Exactly. He would just listen to it and no, like nod and smile politely. <laughs> You'd just be like, I don't know, you should put Star Fox in it. <laughs> he doesn't say that about anything. Star Fox is dead to him. Well, no, he said that about Dinosaur Planet, and then after that, he just like immediately distanced himself from Star Fox. Good point. Uh, yeah. Mimoto, but, make a new Pikmin. Get on it. Yeah, Pikmin Four on the Switch would be pretty good. Yeah, it would. Be nice to play a Pikmin where you don't have to have a giant game pad sitting on your lap as you fling around a Wii Mote in order to play it. Yeah, you know what else would be good on uh, the Switch? Like another Metroid Prime. Nah, never work. Don't be ridiculous. Nah, I guess you're right. Yeah, who would they even get to make it? I don't know. I mean, like, it's not going to be retro. No, heavens no. Uh, so, where I'm going with all this, though, is eventually a, a Nintendo home console did get an R-Type release. In fact, it got one that was exclusive to it, which is R-Type 3, the third Lightning, which is the one that I played. Uh, and it's a really, really uh, neat game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um it's still very much an R-Type game. Like, if you just kind of compare it side by side with uh, all the other ones that came before, it doesn't really innovate much on that design. But being able to have that on, like, a Nintendo console, like, if you just sit down in your room and play it back in the day, is pretty nice. You don't have to go to the arcade anymore. 
or own some weird ass thing like an NEC PC88. Sure. Or, you know, an Armstrad CPC. I mean, what kind of sicko owned one of those? An Amstrad. See, I can't even say it right. Uh you go from left to right and you shoot aliens, it's pretty cool. But it's no Einhander. Now that's a I'm game. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I know what that is. Uh it was a side scrolling shooter. It was uh oh. it was Square Enix. It was really hmm. good. Would would you constitute the gummy ship missions? No. In Kingdom Hearts 3 as a Absolutely shop. not. <laughs> you tell me that there's some sort of like spaceship shoot 'em up game made by Square and the first thing my dumbass brain's going to go to now because it's been fucking polluted for the last year is Kingdom Hearts. That is actually a good point. I think it was Square Soft because it was before Square Enix. Okay. Uh, which sure. is also a bit of a also... weird thing to say, though, because I think the Enix half of Square Enix is the only reason their games are good. So. Yeah. I, I consistently know. forget how late in Square's uh, history, like, the merger with Enix happened. It was like PlayStation 2 era. Yeah. I keep thinking it was like PlayStation 1, which it absolutely was not. I keep thinking that happened, like, before Final Fantasy 7, which is just dead wrong. No, because uh, yeah. like the bouncer was still Squaresoft. Oh boy, that's a game I should maybe, put on the list. Maybe that was what they killed them. Like th- that was the they were like, we're making yeah. the bouncer, we're putting all this money. It's gonna be like playing Toy Story, and that came oh, out. They're like, we need yeah. to merge with these nice folks at Enix. Well, it was like a combination of that and Spirits Within, though. Oh right, yeah, because that really gutted them financially and that's what made uh sakaguchi like actually step down yeah the the favorite movie of what's her name from life is strange wait really yeah in life is strange there's a part early on where there's like a poster for uh final fantasy of spirits within on a wall and you have her look <laughs> at it and she's like ah it's my favorite movie <laughs> life is strange sucks <laughs> Yeah, the people over there really know how to write believable characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing says this is a relatable human like a character who looks at a Spirits Within poster and says, Ah, yes, my favorite movie. That's, yeah, that's nobody's is favorite it? movie. This is coming from the two guys who did like a whole hour and a half long podcast about why the Mario movie is good, actually. Well, that's because it is. But, like, yes. there are people who would be like, Ah, Final Fantasy Spirits Within isn't that bad, but nobody is like, that's my favorite movie. I have uh, pretty recently thought about maybe actually sitting down and watching it, because I've never seen it. But then every time I, I like get up to that and I look up a bit of footage of it, it just looks so damn boring. Yeah. Like, I just see it in motion for like 10 seconds, then I'm like, eh, I'd rather do something else with my time. Yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about it is they got all this super expensive CGI and most of it is just like people in a lab talking to each other. Yeah, it's like, weird bar- that the cutscenes... Later they figured yeah. it out with Advent Children. They were like, okay, we're just going to have everyone punch each other and fly around. But it was but too Advent late. Children is also unwashable, but for a very different reason. Ah, uh, it's all right. 
the the action scenes in Advent Children are great. It's the bit where yeah. the characters are actually talking and somebody is sitting down and writing dialogue for them that is very difficult to get through. Well, that's your problem for not fast forwarding through it and just watching the action scenes, which is pretty <laughs> much what I did every time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think like my one major complaint with our type, uh, which is like besides the fact that it's really hard, uh, is that the game just kind of like ends. It's got like this really abrupt ending where you just sort of like fly off into space, and it's like, okay, time to do the second loop. You beat the final boss. Good job. You go back to the first level now. It's like breakdown. Yeah, but like it's also appropriately arcadey in that respect, I guess. That it would just loop you back around to the first level and just be like, yeah, whatever, you beat it. Yeah, it's like Ghost and Goblins. Yeah. But uh, yeah, our type is our type is fine. But I also really don't know what to say about our type other than like I really like how good and gross the environments are. Even uh-huh. to say that, like our type Delta, it was uh, it was in three D. It was the first one in three D, from what I remember. And actually, the like pixely three D ness of a PlayStation One also makes it look really grungy in like a different way. I liked mm. it. You should check I it can, out. I think I can kind of get what way you're you're saying with that. It's like the same way you know the environments in uh, like Metal Gear Solid One look. Yeah, there's a dirtiness to it yeah. that you that is like conveyed in a very unique way through how like they have these really low res textures applied to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really like how a lot of the environments in our type just seem organic. Like you're flying inside of some sort of uh, mechanical structure that's been taken over by some sort of like Tetsuo mutation. Who's that? Uh, yeah, from Akira, Tetsuo. Or if you like uh, Tetsuo from uh, the movie Tetsuo Iron Man, because eh, it's full for applicable here. What's Akira? It's, it's flesh wrapped around metal. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Phalanx is an alright game. I have no idea why it has the box art of an old man playing a banjo. I know exactly why it has the box art. I can read you the quote from uh, the person that... So, there are two men who are responsible for the box art. It's uh, Matt Gus and Keith Campbell. Uh, Gus uh, and Campbell did an interview with uh, Destructoid where they actually explained what the reasoning was behind doing the box art they did. Uh, And I am just going to read directly from their quote. I remember this. Um, My ad agency had the Kimco account, and our task was to develop packaging and marketing materials for over 40 titles. Kimco would typically buy their games from third-party developers in Japan. Some were good, and some were not good. Weaker games needed more help graphically to get them to stand out on the retail shelf. We wanted people to pick up the package, get engaged with the story, and buy the damn game. The package was also used to help Kimco sell games to other retailers, so it had to make the buyers think the game would sell at their stores. Most of the games back then were look, uh, excuse me, were in the look-like category. Same genre, same kind of graphics, nothing to differentiate them from one another. Keith was not a gamer, and in fact, none of us were in the agency. But Keith was a brilliant idea guy and always was. He... Uh, We knew the game didn't have a lot to offer. We wanted to make the package arresting. Keith called this kind of thing the heavy huh factor. We couldn't do anything else. We tried to get the potential purchaser to stare at the package and 
try to figure out just what happened. Today it might be called a what the fuck moment. So Keith, so Keith could have done some predictable spaceship shooting bullshit that would have been like every other game out there, or he could create a story that would make people stop and think about it. And I guess it's proof that it was a good idea because people are still thought, uh, thinking about it. Phalanx was a very average game with an unexpected cover design. It needed great slash weird ideas to stand out from the crowd. Yeah, and like, that's true. I remember when you were talking to me about this and I said like, well, you know, Phalanx for the SNES, like that's not about a guy playing a banjo. It's just a side-scrolling shooter like any other one. And you're like, what? Yeah. So I... I actually was one of those people who in the store saw uh, the cover to Phalanx and was just like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Uh, I didn't use that language as a kid, though, just to be clear. Oh. I probably said, like, what the gosh heck is that? I was a probably. good little boy. Uh, but I never, ever, ever figured out what Phalanx actually was. I just kind of took that impression of, huh, it's a weird cover. And like carried it with me up until just like a few years ago when I then had that conversation with you where I was just like, what is Phalanx? Explain Phalanx to me. <laughs> Explain to me the concept of Phalanx. I thought it was like some sort of Harvest Moon thing, I think. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> what you said. Yeah, I was like, I thought no, it was you like can see the, in the, the background there, there's a little spaceship flying across the sky. Yeah, I thought it was a comet. I guess it's like so blurry in that cover, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, I never had any idea what Phalanx was. And then uh should mention before I get too far away from it, uh, the, the guy on the cover is named uh, Bertle Valley. He is unfortunately no longer with us. That's a great name. Yeah, uh, but he uh, that ad agency used him in other things. I believe that they uh, they used him as Santa Claus on some sort of like, uh, I don't know, Carter calendars. He passed away in 2004. The um, Phalanx does say the hyperspeed shootout in space right there on the cover. So I don't, I don't know how you got okay. Harvest Moon from that. I don't know. I think I might have also, like, over time just sort of saw that image, like, cropped. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I never really had a good concept of what Phalanx was. And then I, I sat down and actually uh, got a chance to play it over the last year. And, uh, boy, they're. Their marketing, like their their process for how to do that cover, I think is dead on because Phalanx is just not at all that interesting. No, uh, it's talk fun. about how R types, yeah, like you talk about how R type is a lot like Gradius, Phalanx is a lot like both of those games. Yeah, sure. Uh, but on like R type, I don't think it's really additive in any way. I mean, if you want to talk about a game that's innovative, talk about Ranger <laughs> X. But you won't do that No, because I don't like how Ranger X controls Well, that's your problem Though that Feels second level is pretty bad That second level is terrible yeah. uh, But no, th th there's actually um, th th The weird thing though for me When I was sitting down I was kind of putting this together Though like, I still very much think that Phalanx is just Generic as all shit And that the only way to market this thing was to be weird about it but I actually found myself accidentally attributing a lot of levels from Phalanx to R-Type 3. Uh, which might just say something about how similar they are in general, but maybe is actually speaking to some sort of, like, deeper appreciation that I have for Phalanx that I'm just not quite ready to accept yet. 
Yeah. Like, I don't want to be the guy who's just like, no, Phalanx is actually better than our type. Because that'll just, like, uh, people will attack me and stab me in the street if I did that. They should. Yeah, no, I'd have it coming. But, like, there are some level designs in Phalanx that I think are actually very visually interesting. Like, there is uh, one where you're in kind of like an asteroid field, and the background for it is all these, like, neon, like, Las Vegas signs just floating in space, like these space billboards. Mm-hmm. Like uh, in that Space have, Jam. I... Yes, it's exactly like Space Jam. Oh, was Space Jam influenced by Phalanx? Probably. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, but no, I, I really like that, just that concept of, like, there's an advertisement zone in space. Like, I'm trying to think of any other shoot-em-up that's really kind of run with that level trope. Uh, there's one where there's this giant, like, battleship, and the whole level is you need to make a loop around the ship and take out these uh, specific weak points, and then at some point you need to infiltrate the ship, which means you're in these really, really, really tight corridors that it's very easy to die in, and you need to carefully navigate around and hit the, like, the last few weak points. Did you play Galaxy? No. It's kind of all that. See, that I might like. Like, I think that, I think that's very interesting. I think that, that Phalanx actually kind of fumbles the execution on that level, because uh, it's not really that fun to play it. Uh, but conceptually, the idea that, like, halfway through this shoot-em-up where you've just been going left to right the whole game, now you need to, like, infiltrate a ship, and there's a lot of just forward and backward movement through it uh, is pretty neat. Sure. Um, but yeah, there there was a there's also like a city level like early on where just I think the parallax scrolling in it is really awesome. Parallax. Uh, yeah, there it just did this really nice parallax uh, through like the cityscape in the background. What? Is this parallax? another word I'm saying wrong? No. I'm just making a Green Lantern joke. Never mind. I don't know anything about Green Lantern. Parallax is, well, originally it was the name Hal Jordan took up when he became evil for no real reason. Uh, as part of the Zero Hour event. And he destroyed Co Coast City, I think it's called. Um, and then later it was retconned. So Parallax was like a giant yellow space dragon who had possessed him. And, like, it was the was evil the force. What? That was in the movie, wasn't it? Like, that's the thing that they fought at the end of the Ryan Reynolds movie? I haven't seen it. Probably. Well, I haven't seen it either. I remember that they fought some sort of, like, gas monster thing at the end of it, and I want to say it was all yellow, and that the idea was it was parallax. Like, in the same way that, like, yeah, the end of the Fantastic it. Four movie, like, Galactus is just a giant cloud from space. Sure. Yeah, it... you're probably right. I haven't seen it, so... I'll take your word for it. That weird period of time where they were still trying to like hide what the characters were. Cause they were like, no, it's too ridiculous for even a comic book movie. You better just make it a giant evil cloud. Yeah. Uh, unlike a lot of bad things or bad movies, I have not even seen 10 seconds of the green lantern movie. Like, I did only not seen... watch a trailer for it. I have not seen pretty much anything from it. I've seen it in, like, uh, YouTube videos here and there where people talk about, like, oh, here's why Green Lantern sucked, and then list off literally everything about it. I thought it was going to be, here's why it's not bad, actually. 
No, that'd be like a 10 second video and it would just be, ah, Ryan Reynolds is funny. Yeah. But he's not. We saw no, that yeah. in uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Very clearly, the direction he was giving uh, given was, I don't know, ad, ad lib everything. Just do the Ryan Reynolds thing. Well, it was the director of Deadpool. So it was like, hey, we'll have you come in and do Deadpool. Yeah. I keep uh, forgetting that he uh, did Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I keep he, forgetting it because I think like Deadpool's a more dynamic, fun movie than Hobbs and Shaw, which absolutely should be more fun and dynamic than it is. So are you finally coming around now? Yeah. Because after yeah, we both those, saw it, yes. I was like, this is the worst Fast and Furious movie since <laughs> like two. And you're like, no, it's great. It's fun and dumb. And I'm like, no, it's not really. It's it's, it's one of those movies where the further I get away from it and the more I reflect on it, I'm like, yeah, actually, no, it's not that great. Okay, good. It's it's one of those things where I get out of the theater and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Jason Statham and The Rock and Vanessa Kirby are all very good in it. They're yeah. doing their best. There are some it's funny bits. It's hard for them to not be good in most of the things that they're in, though. True. True. But, uh, yeah, the movie itself is kind of a snooze. Oh, and Idris Elba, of course, giving 110%. As always. Yes. He is the black Superman, both in that movie and out of it. That's right. <laughs> uh... Anyway, just just, quickly get back in and like it it was the same as with John Wick three, where the action sequences just went on for so long. I was just sitting there in the theater with my eyes glazing over, waiting for it to be done. See, I still don't feel that way about John Wick three, outside of just the one, like that whole fight scene with uh, him and Halle Berry. Yeah, the ones with the dogs is the worst one. Yeah, that that went on absolutely way too long. Dog but bites the other a guy, one... then he shoots him. Then a dog bites another guy, and he shoots him. Then a dog bites another guy, and he shoots him. And repeat that for like ten minutes. It's it's good and brutal. Like the first few times you see that dog just gnash into someone's balls. Sure. But then yeah, it eventually like, eventually gets sick of the dogs biting guys in the balls. When you're like, that's all they're doing. The first two movies, like he was constantly coming up with new ways to kill guys. Yeah. And then in three, There's... it's even the part early on where it's like, oh, he hit the horse and the horse like kicked the guy. That was really cool. Now he's gonna yeah. do it again. Yeah. I the best scene in that movie though is still when he is in that like antique shop with yes, all the knives and that hurling. That one rules. And it's I like the fight really against good. the giant dude with in the library. Yeah. Breaks his face and Yeah. And John Wick is good. Uh John Wick yeah, one the, and two are of, very good. Yeah. Kind of the last thing I, I want to say about Phalanx is uh um it actually like so if I wanted to recommend that somebody get into the shoot 'em up genre at all phalanx might actually be the one that i recommend to them just because it it gives you a very baseline of what that genre is like uh while also being probably the easiest out of any of the games that i played for this uh since you're actually able to take three hits before your ship explodes and you're able to regain your health and level Uh, because a very popular thing with a lot of shoot-em-ups is you have this this very tiny narrow hitbox and you need to know precisely where it is and dodge around a bunch of bullshit because if you get hit once, you blow up and you die. Well, that's kind of a different genre, though. Like that's more of the cave and uh, treasure type shooters than that's, this that's kind. That's still our type. Mm, not quite. Not like I, I see where you're drawing the difference here is probably like the number of projectiles on the yeah. screen. Like something like an Ikaruga, where it is just covering 
everything. Yeah, like the whole thing where like slowdown is built into the game so you can maneuver around in, like, in these tiny spaces between projectiles. Yes, but that that's still like having a small hitbox and not getting hit once, because if you get hit once, you die, is still like a very set-in-stone element of the shoot up genre in general. Like, Phalanx giving you three hits and health replenishments is definitely like an aberration. Sure. Uh, but I think that also ends up making it a much more approachable shoot 'em up for people who have just never really played them or who maybe just find them to be too difficult to begin with. Yeah. I um I remember liking I mentioned it before, Death Smiles for the Xbox three sixty. It had like a lot of difficulty options and stuff in it, even though it was definitely one of the more intense variations of a side scrolling shooter. But I would recommend people check that one out, because I liked it quite a bit. Hmm. I'll, uh, I'll check it out, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, Phalanx's greatest failing is just uh, the fact that I don't think it stands out very well against uh, the more popular R-Type and, and Gradius, but if you're not too familiar with shoot 'em ups if that's one that you get into, then I think you might actually enjoy it quite a bit, because uh, it gleans enough off of those that it will still give you a solid idea of what this genre is about. Uh, I think me not liking it mostly came from the fact that I played R-Type before it, and it was just like, it's more R-Type. Sure. Um, which, speaking of, just more of those kind of games, Zero Wing. You oh, might remember it from the internet. Uh, kind of. Larry, remember Newgrounds? Yes. Remember you put Flash on Newgrounds and it's like someone made a funny music video about this video game. Yeah. In the dark times before YouTube was a thing. <laughs> to be clear, old yeah. YouTube, which was very good, unlike new YouTube, which is very bad. Uh, so... Zero Wing, it's really hard to talk about, similar to uh, Phalanx, without sort of mentioning the thing that everyone knows it for the most, uh, which in Zero Wing's case is the All Your Base Are Belong to Us meme, uh, which is actually uh, considered the first image macro on the internet. The first still image of something with impact font placed on it, from what I could find out, is attributed to Zero Wing. But... Uh, the the very first meme uh, in general is is not Zero Wing. I think that actually goes to the dancing baby from Ally McBeal. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. That's the first one because I had thought about like what the first sort of exposure to any sort of meme that you would have seen was, and I figure like for pretty much everybody, it would have to be dancing baby. Yeah. So I. I grew up in a, a a very poor household, so we did not have a computer for a very long time. So my almost all my exposure to the dancing baby actually came from Ally McBeal, oh, uh, just okay. seeing them use that in like commercials and, and and stuff, and not necessarily seeing it on the internet. I definitely uh, saw it in like a in computer class or something. Somebody brought it up, was like, "Hey, check this out!" and it had the Uga Chaka and everything on it. Uh, so See, at that then, point yeah, in when it showed time, up in Ally McBeal, I was like, uh, okay. 
Yeah. At, at that point in time, in the specific place that I was at, even the school system was just very underfunded. So we really didn't have like internet access, even in the in the school to see stuff like that. Um, yeah, you know, we uh we grew up at a great time where it was uh both too late to uh like learn about things that would be relevant now, and yeah. uh well, I guess too early for things that are relevant now, and too late to uh, be adults in a time where we didn't need to know that. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, but sure. I've you know I filled my fucking brain with facts about phalanx and R type, so I'm I'm doing great. That's right. Ask me anything real- about Monkey Island. Playing numbers munchers until I was in like seventh fucking grade because it wouldn't upgrade the computers. Number munchers, all right. Fucking trail. Yeah, no, look, I'm not saying they're bad, but that's pretty much all that we had. Uh, but yeah, no, like I, I think that my first real exposure to like memes uh, was Zero Wing. Because uh, that is about that, I think hit the internet in like 2000, which is about the point that I got like uh, my first real consistent access to a computer with the internet on it. So I think that's when I went to go live with my my dad, who made more money than mom did. Sure, <laughs> could afford things like monthly subscriptions. Um, but yeah, so I always like had this curiosity for Zero Wing because he. All that people really got hung up on was this hilariously badly translated like opener to the game, and then like you wouldn't ever really care about what the rest of the game was like because nobody cared. Uh, yeah. And so, sitting down and actually playing the game behind the meme, I can now understand why no one gave a fucking shit about anything other than the opening. <laughs> yep. That game is boring as hell. Uh, yep. Talk about like Phalanx being generic. Zero Wing is somehow even more generic. Phalanx, yep. I think, does some interesting things with its uh, like level aesthetics. Zero Wing has none of that. It is such a flat, bland, boring game that if not for the fact some nut job thought they could translate that intro, someone in Japan who clearly thought that they could speak English then I don't think anyone would even know the name Zero Wing on any level whatsoever. Where does that text even come from? Is that from the Japanese version? It just displays in English anyway, or is it from that PAL version you mentioned? It's from the PAL version. Uh, so there is actually a, uh, I can uh, pull it up here, a article on it from legendsoflocalization.com uh, that... <laughs> okay. It, it it has the actual, like, if you translated the Japanese text that appeared on the screen versus the way that it appears in the PAL version and is starkly different in, in what it's trying to get across. Uh, like, um, you know, one of the more straightforward, simple ones is in AD 2101, war was beginning, is in 2101 AD, war breaks out. Sure. Uh trying to see what the all your base are belong to us one is specifically the the actual version of that line is with the help of federation government forces uh has taken all of your bases okay oh cats has taken all of your bases my bad cats is also the guy who's talking so that threw me off cats um yeah which is actually just spelled like the animal. It's not even like a K-A-T thing. It's the just, thing it's I always cat. find more interesting is the ones that were actually voice acted. Like somebody actually yeah. looked at the script and had to read it out loud and it still made it into the final game, like Symphony of the Night. 
No, that didn't that didn't happen. Like I thought the voice acting was a thing for the meme. Because the actual like Genesis version, it doesn't have any kind of uh no. press. Well, the arcade version doesn't even have an opening. Okay. I'm saying like Symphony of the Night. I'm not talking about yeah. this. Okay, I thought that I thought that you thought that that came out on like version of Zero Wing. No, I'm just saying like I can understand a bad localization like this where it's just text. It's weirder to me when somebody reads it out loud and it still makes it through. Yeah, I so I kind of wonder how much of that was just um because I watched that Game Informer thing again recently that was like an oral history of the recording of Metal Gear Solid. And how they were not allowed to go off script even by a word, because anything that they put into the script, anything that they changed, would have to then get relayed over to Japan. Japan would have to approve it and then get back to them, and that whole process just took a lot of time. So I wonder how much of that was just, that's the way things were done in general. It wasn't a, like, oh, Mr. Kojima wants to have everything be picture-perfect to his to his vision, like, how much of that is just any kind of voiceover work? Like, if you changed anything, you had to go to Japan. Yeah, that probably is it. Yeah. Or, like, how much of that, too, was these are just dudes who they pulled in that were not actually actors, and they were just like, we're paying you to say the words on the script, and so they don't even think to correct it. Could be. It's just whoever they got in the office. Yeah. Like Mega Man 8. Dr. Wiley. Yeah. He's trying to harvest all the evil energy. Yeah, I, I genuinely wonder how much of that is just a like a corporate structure thing or people just not getting paid enough to give a shit. Like, we're guessing. bringing in someone who's not an actress. They they don't really care about the craft of this. They're just going to say the words. I'm going to say it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, the, the Symphony of the Night stuff. Because that, that was even happening in like a fairly big video games, not just... Uh, tiny stuff like Zero Wing that no one really gave a crap about even at the time. You steal men's souls and make them your slaves. The same could be said of all religions. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the actual like uh, people then recording that over and doing that whole song and everything, like, man. Uh, I, I kind of wonder, like, because uh, I assume most of the people who listen to this podcast are like 12, probably don't remember the Zero Wing meme at all back in the day, didn't like live through it actually being a thing on the internet. So I, I, I sort of wondered, like, for people who are too young for for that, to experience that moment in time, if they went back to it now and just, like, have a appreciation like air quotes appreciation for like what humor on the internet was in like the early 2000s it would probably just be infuriating like if somebody in 2019 <laughs> went back to play fear and they were like i don't know it seems fine <laughs> i guess and then i would have to be like no you don't understand it came out 15 years ago look at the slow motion the bullet effects the yeah, mist everything it's great how could some be so unappreciative of gaming history i don't know have to be a real jerk yeah that sounds like a huge asshole they probably would like <laughs> extraction point just fine though and have no real issues with it well extraction point is better than fear one yeah you have is. to be a, a real dummy to like fear two more though mm. yeah like i i, I kind of wondered the same if like if somebody went back and just saw like shoop the whoop 
or the dancing baby like from now 2019 person seeing Sparta. that and just like oh god yeah well, i mean even that was like quite a bit later than yeah well, shoop to whoop and this is sparta was about the same time they were huh. yeah i i keep thinking shoop the whoop was like shortly after uh all your base no because there were definitely things where it was like here's the shoop the whoop base on uh leonidas so, I don't know, memes have become so much more mean-spirited and spiteful that I think that just the humor that memes had back in the early 2000s, which was just, look at this dumbass thing. Well, uh, The words are funny. Like, kind of. Probably wouldn't The weird thing is, much. though, like, the whole thing has broadened to such a degree now. Like, for a while, it was just like, here's image with impact font on it. And like yeah. the absolute nadir was the time when it was like, here's a frog with a rainbow around it, and here's a thing it says, or whatever. And all of that really sucked. And now it's just like any sort of funny image is considered a meme, which, all right, sure, I guess, whatever. Change the definition over time, I guess, but it it's not really the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh,. Boy, zero wing the actual game though. Bad. Yeah, it's, it's a shrug. The, the the thing about trying to explain exactly why it's bad is very difficult too, because the way that it's bad is just that it's just talk about your eyes glazed over, man. It's the Green Lantern of video games. It's just, oh, nothing no. about this thing is particularly interesting or fun or unique outside of the one thing that people remember from it. Yep. The music Did you is good. Anything different though? I kind of did like just the, the the fact that like clearly some people remembered this thing that came out in the early 90s that only came out in the power region with a English translation. Like I kind of thought that maybe it was like this little cult classic thing that only a few people knew about, but that the, the opening was really funny. So that was the thing that everyone was going to latch on to mm. or that or that maybe like, hey, this really funny Internet meme thing is actually like kind of masking like glossing over a really good hidden gem like there's a good game behind this dumb thing uh instead, turns out not the case instead it's basically it's donkey just... kong 64 like the opening yes. is the joke <laughs> yes. and then the rest of it is just a boring slog yeah it's it's donkey kong going okay okay or, banana and then everything else about it you just want to completely disassociate with cats has no style Cats has no grace. Yeah. That's yeah. It's exactly the same. Uh for great justice is we're counting on you, Ziggs. Uh Ziggs. Zig was the, the ship. God damn it, Ziggy, you sick fuck! Get your dick out of my computer! Uh, you're on your way to destruction. Another one that line is the end is nigh for your ship as well. So th- there were actual like words that made fucking sense behind that. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> that just Somebody like, just gave up. <laughs> I really think it was just like someone had to localize the game for the power region, and it was a Japanese dude in the Japanese office that made the game, and he was just like, I speak English. And everyone else just believed him because they didn't know any better. I mean, that's kind of yeah. Like I think exactly. it was just whoever was in that office that like spoke the most English was handed it. And yeah, it like just some came of the out characters of, oh, in uh like Shinmu or something that are clearly a Japanese person speaking English and they can't like they couldn't tell. They were just like, Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Tom so, though, Tom Tom was great. 
no, nothing is more authentic than Tom. Exactly. The most authentic character out of all of Shinmu. That's right. The Jamaican hot dog stand owner, Tom. Nozomi told me you had words with the guys driving the black car. No, no, I don't remember. They might have been the ones who murdered my father. Your father? Please try to think. Right, man. I'll try. Those guys in the black car, what were they like? I saw a guy wearing this weird coat. What kind of coat? It was a deep green. Maybe velvet or silk. Like something Chinese. That's Landy. What happened? They almost hit one of my customers, so I gave them a piece of my mind. But that man, he gave me this glare. I ain't never seen such a cold stare, man. Do you remember anything else? Nope. Try asking Chinese people about Chinese. Just based on a real person, probably. I bet you that dude was just outside of their office every day, and they are just like, what if we put you in a video game? <laughs> probably. Pay you I 50 mean, bucks to come in one weekend and just say all these lines. I mean, Shinmu featured Gollum as uh, Andy Serkis as his big break. So Yeah, no, that's what really put uh, facial mocap on the map was yep. Shinmu. Yep. Andy Serkis came in with his own rig and everything. It was Andy Serkis' idea to make it so you can uh, get the Sonic the Hedgehog capsule toy and just stand there and look at him. Another authentic Japanese experience translated for a video game. Mm-hmm. It's just what they were doing. Oh, so, uh, yeah, Shinem Ups, it's weird for me. This is a genre I guess I'm not necessarily super passionate about. I, I never have been, but kind of part of this list was wanting to experience some new things. And I, I know that R-Type is a very revered series, and Phalanx with its weird cover and Zero Wing with its dumbass meme kind of maybe want to experience the games behind those so that's the reason why i wanted to play these specific games. Uh, but as far as decision. recommending them no definitely not two of them not great one of them that's eh, okay yeah it's fine our type is a good our type three the third lightning is a good video game yes if you like shoot 'em ups you should play it yeah the uh, others nah nah no yeah you probably avoid them I would say, though, that if you are new to shoot 'em ups and you just want something to kind of get into and, like, sort of just, you know, find your footing with Phalanx is not bad for that because of how easy it is. Uh, but you also understand that you're going to experience a lot of things that are very much like Phalanx, but way, way, way better if you decide to graduate up from. Now you should go play Einhander. Highly yeah. recommend it. Actually, maybe everyone should just not play any of the games we mentioned and just go play Ihonder. I would agree. Yeah. Mm. But also, our type's fine. But also, uh, I'm also going to say, too, if you are uh, if you're a youngin' and you weren't around on the internet in early 2000, uh, go back, watch the All Your Baser Belong to Us uh, meme. It's a, it's a whole video. The whole thing is that they open with that and then they do, like, a song uh, remixing the line All Your Baser Belong to Us. Uh, watch that. Send me an email, uh, AmericanRetroPie at gmail.com. Tell me what you think of that shit, because I'm genuinely curious to see how it plays for, like, someone who's younger and uh, is more in tune with uh, internet humor today than they were back then. Uh, I'm just going to spend my time browsing YTMND, trying to find all the really good stuff on there. 
Brian Peppers, if you want to talk about early that's names. Right. That's right, Brian Peppers. And not, not, yeah. uh, then you look up the actual story about Brian Peppers and feel real bad and gross. You know, I always wondered if that was actually true or not, though. Uh, I think there were, like, nuggets of the truth in there, but then it also got blown out of proportion. I want to say that's that, like, he obviously suffered from a lot of developmental disabilities well, and yeah. that I think that he, like... I can't remember. I think it was that he, like, accidentally groped a nurse in the way that, like, George Bush Sr. did. Oh, maybe. Something. The but, the one thing I always remember is just the Photoshop of him biting a pepper like Chairman Kaga uh, in Iron <laughs> Chef. God, right, like, the whole Iron Chef thing was, like, a huge meme for a while, too. Man, I love original Iron Chef. Yeah, it's great. Like when I when I told you, like, I really liked Iron Chef, you are like, why? That show sucked, because you didn't know <laughs> it was a Japanese show Watched at first. It. You had just seen, like, the American version, which does suck. Yeah, uh, just Bobby Flay every yeah, episode. Yeah, Bobby Flay. But yeah, the yeah. original Japanese version's great, because it would just, like, show... It was like a fortune teller was one of the judges or something and so like, they would always be like oh this miso soup is all right and i don't know it's very mm. good uh chef morimoto was my favorite the sakai sakai was also really good i think he was iron chef france morimoto was japan he always won just like bobby fly <laughs> that's right the off nightly looking motherfucker up here yeah yeah uh and i'm trying to think of like other uh ytmnd things like uh well i'm trying to remember what the song was that was in the batman meme where it was just like that unintelligible yeah i don't remember what that was called it was um like macaron chacaron that was it yes macaron chacaron um yeah man anyway do that watch that email us uh also if you've watched green lantern send us your thoughts american retro at gmail.com is the email address to send us your thoughts about the green lantern movie i will accept no other emails you know deadpool 2 was decent i do like the end featuring ryan reynolds reading the script for green lantern that was all right if you if you send me a review of green lantern i promise you i will read it on the air I will okay. definitely do that. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. Recap real quick. Uh, shoot 'em up games that we played this episode. Uh, don't play any of them. Go play. Uh, go go play. What was the one that you were, you were saying? Why are you recapping? Einhander. Because I'm going somewhere with this. Einhander. Go play Einhander. We'll be back next week where we talk about uh, Toho. Until then, goodbye, dinosaur. No. <laughs> That's I'm right. Never, I'm never going to talk about Toho. I'm replacing the remainder of the list with all nine hundred goddamn billion Toho games. <laughs> This is the show now. It's even more of a fool's errand than the original concept. (laughs) Uh, Goodbye, Dinosaur.